0: Today, we're going to talk about nine degrees of separation. Uh, we're not talking about the Kevin Bacon effect. Some of y'all know, you know what I'm talking about? We're not talking about that. We're talking about, I'm going to show you nine ways that we separate ourselves from God and from others. And some of these, we don't even realize we're doing it. Are, are you with me? We, we, we don't even realize we're, we're doing it. And here's what I know. I, I, this is a message... Um, let me say this. I'm preaching just as much to me as I am to you because uh, this is something I fight and battle with. Uh, and, and, in fact, to kind of make it easier, I almost titled today's message, uh, Help, I'm Talking and I Can't Shut Up. Um, so laugh, it'll ease the pain. But here's what I know. A message like today, uh, two two types of people will leave here. Uh, there'll be those that leave here thinking, Man, that was really good. I hope so-and-so was listening. Man, I'm going to send the link to this message to so-and-so because they really need to hear this. Then there will be others that you hear this and you begin to pray the Psalms 139 prayer. Search me, O God. No, make me aware of any anxious thoughts. Anything that offends you, search them out. And it's those people that, that take the approach, you will open up your heart to God, allow Him to speak about things that maybe you didn't even realize were there, and you will leave here changed and different, while others will just leave here and nothing is different about them. Are, are you with me? So, so I'm, in fact, let, let's, let's, start this, um, let's start this out right. I want to pray a prayer, lead you in a prayer. And, uh, man, I want you to pray this prayer, especially if you call this home. This is your church home. I want you to pray this because I I told someone the other day, I said, this may be the most important message I preach to Watts Bar Community Church as far as dealing with the health of our church and moving forward. So I want you to pray this prayer with me and, and just really take it in. Real take me, say, say, "Father God, Father God search God. me, search. Know, my know my heart, test me, test. Know, my know my anxious thoughts, Point out anything Point. that offends you, that offends you. And, help and help me not to argue with you about it. You about it. Amen. Amen. Proverbs 18 says this: "Your words are so powerful that they will kill or give life, and the talkative person will reap the consequences. The message says the words kill, words give life. Listen, Jesus takes this to a whole nother level. I know, listen, I I love grace. I'm about grace, but here's what I found. You, You realize grace requires more than the law ever did. Are you hearing me? See, the law says if you commit adultery... Jesus said if you look at a woman wrong, the law said do not kill. Jesus said if you have hate in your heart toward a brother, you're a murderer. So the law always takes it to a different level. The grace always takes it to a different level. Look what Jesus says about her words. Let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation, and words can also be your damnation. The NIV NIV says it like this. Your words will either acquit you or condemn you. Your words. Uh, uh, That's Jesus talking. You understand that? The the, the things that are coming out of our mouths, whether we say them out loud, whether we say them in private, whether we type them online, Jesus says you're going to give account for every idle word that comes out of your mouth, and those words you spoke will either acquit you or they're going to condemn you. Come on, man. That is wow. See, our words not only have the power of life and death, they have the power to separate. Separate us from God, but also from people in our lives that God has brought into our lives. There's a passage in Isaiah that is both challenging but also uh, what's the right word? Disturbing for lack of a better word. Uh, you ever have those passages where you're like, it says this in the Bible, but I really don't like this. I'm, I'm the only one. Okay, okay. That's all. Let's, let's move on. I realize I'm talking to the holy ones of Watts Bar. Uh, but let's move on. Look what Isaiah says. Isaiah 59, 1 through 3. He says, listen, the Lord's arm isn't too weak to save you. And his ear isn't too deaf to hear you call. Isaiah says, listen, there's nothing wrong with his arms. It's not broken. There's nothing wrong with his hearing. He can hear you. Look, here's the problem. Your sins, it's your sins that have cut you off or separated you from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen. Well, PK, duh. I know our sins separate us from God. I get that. But what I believe, I believe that we have developed a tendency to make more to to make certain sins, our sins, uh, worse or or less than other people's sins. Am I saying that right? Well, it's very easy for us to see the sin in somebody else. But we dismiss the sin in our own lives. And, And he says, it's your sins that have cut you off. They have separated you. Here's the thing. If there is something in my life that is separating me from God, separating me from His, from His will, from the blessings that flow, whether I know it or not, whether I realize I'm doing I want to know so that I can stop the separation. Come on, anybody with me? I, I want to know what it is. And I believe that's where the psalmist was when he said, Search me, oh God, because there's some things that have been inside me so long, I don't even realize they're there. So search me. And, and here's the thing. I'm not talking about, I'm not saying you're not saved. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm saying there's something in your life that is keeping God from doing the full work that he wants to do in your life. Are you hearing me? And if there's something there, I want to know. I want to know. Isaiah is about to tell us what it is. Look what he says in verse 3. Your hands are the hands of murderers. Your fingers are filthy with sin. Your lips are full of lies, and your mouth spews corruption. Anybody notice? Jesus puts murder in the same category as the words that come out of our mouth. But think about that. He literally goes from murder and violence, hey, also to the words you're using. Why? Because he knows the power of life and death are in the tongue. And Isaiah says, listen, you need to know what, why you're not receiving what you feel like you need to receive from God. It's not God. His arms are good. His hearing is good. It's the words that have come out of your mouth that are separating you from God. And here's the thing. The point of this message is not for us to take inventory of things we've said, people we've talked about, and then feel really bad. Yes, we need to take an inventory. We need to look deep inside and say, are are there words I've spoken? Are there things that I've said in private, in public, online? But then we repent and we move on. Are you you hearing me? So I want to give you nine things according to the Word that separate us from God. First one, if you're taking notes, lying. How many know lying can separate the best of friends? How many, if you had a friend that lied to you continuously, it's going to bring some separation between y'all. Come on, are, are you with me? How, how, what about if you have a spouse that lies to you continuously, is it going to cause some intimacy issues? Come on, speak to me. Absolutely. The same way it causes separation in those relationships, it's going to cause separation in, the, in your relationship with God. Lying. Yeah, and, and it's instinctive. Can we be honest? Lying comes easy. Anybody have to teach your kids to lie? And if you say, well, my kid doesn't lie well, you haven't met your kid. Uh, Nobody Nobody teach us how to lie, right? But how many know that lying also can be a learned habit? I mean, we teach our kids, don't lie, right? I mean, we we put that, hey, don't lie, man, don't lie. It's a bad thing. But then whether we realize it or not, they watch mom and dad or the adults in their life and they learn, oh, there's some things that it's okay to lie about. Come on. Like they they hear me come up to you and say, hey, we've been missing you so much. Been missing you and your family so much. And they hear dad or mom say, oh, you know, we've just been extremely busy. My wife's family's been in town. We just haven't had the time. And that kid knows mom's family's been gone for three months. You've just been sleeping in every morning. If you laugh, it'll ease some of the pain. And what they learn is, oh, There are some situations it's okay to lie about. I'm going to tell on myself, I know pastors are not supposed to, we're supposed to be superhuman, but you got the bad one. Uh, But let's move on. (laughs) So let's move on. At the end of COVID, we were taking, and Dollywood was opening back up, and man, we had had season pass. We want to take our kids to Dollywood, or our grandkids to Dollywood. So we got me, and these shared, and we've got Sonny, we've got Juno, Juneau, and Juno's two years old. And, and we're walking up, we've got our masks on, all of us adults, but Juno and Sunny don't have masks on. And so the, the guy says, as he's letting us in, says, uh, How old is she? I said, She's two. Oh. Well then, sir, she'll have to wear a mask. I said, well then, uh, sir, she's not too. And he said, are you going to stick with that? Absolutely, I'm sticking to it because I would rather face hellfire than try to get a two year old to wear a mask all day long at Dollywood. And if you don't understand that, you've never been around a two year old. So, and and why why I'm just saying that that really happened, yes. But we've got to be careful. Because they watch us, and they learn, oh, it's okay to lie at certain times. Oh, it's okay to do that, to do that. And and here's the thing. Look what the Bible says about Proverbs 16, 19. There are six things the Lord hates. Anybody ever read that because then he says seven that are detestable. Why don't we just say, hey, there are seven things the Lord hates instead of six plus one. Never mind. Let's move on. Let's go. (laughs) There are six things the Lord hate. That just hit me. I didn't even see the Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. You notice he put lying ahead of murder. Then he says, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Here's what I find interesting out of those seven things that get listed, three have to do with our mouths, two have to do with lying. Why? Because lying's in our nature. It's in our Kelly. I wouldn't lie. Listen. Anybody in here ever been tempted to lie about certain things? Husbands? Like, that wife looks at you. She's trying on that outfit. Does this dress make me look fat? See, you're tempted to lie. Because the truth would be, no, but that dress does not make you look fat. Your fat makes you look fat. Not the dress at all. So... (laughs) I'm getting so many ugly looks from the women right now. But listen, I love you enough to tell you the truth. But listen, my my wife said, Move on. Let's let's get it going. Let's get it going, babe. Let's get it going. But you're tempted to lie in that moment, right? Yeah. Cop walks up to you. Uh, Do you know how fast you were going, sir? Uh, um, I have no idea. You're tempted to lie. We all do it. Maybe, maybe we call it different things. Maybe we call it stretching the truth or exaggerating the facts. But here's the thing. It's a lie. It, it's a lie. And, and, and the thing is, a lot of people, they lie so much that it becomes part of their DNA, and they don't even know that they're lying when they lie. We, had a fr- we, we have some friends that their daughter is like this. She would lie. I'll never forget. She was coming back from Florida, stopped off to to visit us in Atlanta, and we all went out to eat with with our pastor and the staff. She begins to tell this horrific story, and we're like, oh, let's pray with you. We find out none of it was true, none of it. And the thing is, she wasn't lying to get out of trouble. She wasn't dying or lying to. It had become such a part of her she didn't even realize she's lying, and she had developed a stronghold. And sad to say, that stronghold has still got a hold of her to this day. But the good news is it can be broken off of you. The best two ways for taking notes is this: accountability and correctability. It's not just enough to have someone in your life that knows your tendency to lie. They've got to have permission to speak into you and call you on it. It's like if us, me the men, we used to go on this deep sea uh, fishing trip every year in the fall. We, we need to do that again. But let's say we went on this deep sea fishing trip. And, <laughs> and we're down there and we come back and I'm talking to the church about it. I'm talking to some guys about it. Pastor Ben was there and I'm like, man, you're not going to believe it. I caught a 60-pound grouper, and Pastor Ben's going to go, uh, PK, uh, actually, that was a two-pound blowfish you caught. <laughs> you got to have someone that can call you on your stuff. Yes, that's an actual fish for some of y'all who don't even know it. Uh, the second degree of separation, I promise you these next few won't be as long, stirring up division. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I've been guilty of this on more than one occasion where I've said something that I knew was going to stir the pot, but I said it anyway. My mom would get so frustrated with me when she would teach her youth class or kids class because I always wanted to be the one that disagreed with her, the antagonist, I get it right. I wanted to be the one that played the devil's advocate, if you will. And while I thought it was hilarious, my mom did not think it was as funny. And neither does God find out. Look what Proverbs 16, 12 through 15 says. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his fingers. With perverted heart, he devises evil, continually sowing discord. Anybody knows in verse 12, it talks about crooked speech, and then verse 14, two verses later, it says a perverted heart. We need to recognize there is a connection between our heart and what comes out of our mouth. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 34, uh, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I want you to see how serious God takes this issue. Look at verse 15. Because you did that, he says, therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. That's pretty serious. Are you hearing me? That Sowing discord. He says, because of that, calamity will come upon him suddenly. And in a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. That is serious. Listen, it doesn't matter if it's at home, work, school, your circle of friends, or even at church. God takes it serious. Look what Paul says in Titus about it. Verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9. Do not get involved in foolish discussion about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. The Passion translate says, avoid useless uh, controversies. He says, these things are useless and a waste of time. Here's the truth. We all have opinion on things, right? Right? And and that's not wrong. Where we get into trouble with our opinions and where, where it dives into sin is when we want our opinion to become doctrine. Paul is addressing this here. He said, you're arguing over things that don't really matter in the scheme of things, and the arguing is causing division. Paul, See, Paul says, don't get drawn into these things. They're useless. They're a waste of time, but we still do it today. The moment someone does, somebody doesn't agree with you, they're your enemy. You block them on Facebook. You defriend them. They're no longer involved in your group text. Come on. I, I, I've learned this the hard way. There's, just, there's some things that are just not worth arguing about. I, I want us to see how serious Paul takes about people that stir the pot or cause division. Look at verse 10. If people are causing divisions among you, give them a first warning, give them a second warning, After that, have nothing more to do with them, for people like that, they have turned away from truth, and their own sins condemn them. Chances are, we're not arguing about interpretation of Scripture. Come on, let's be serious. I know most of you, that's not what you're arguing about, but we still have these opinions about things about people that we start trying to get people to take our side on them. Come on. We, we, and again, it's okay to have an opinion. It's okay to, to, to not like something. It's, I'll say this. It's even okay to not like someone. There are some people I, I don't care for. I love them because God told me I had to, but I just don't like them. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. With those opinions that that you have, you begin to whisper them in the ears of other people. And you begin to cause people to take sides in that issue. That's where it's sin. And here's the sad thing. When you begin to do that, most people don't even realize they're doing this. But what they've done is they've partnered with the enemy. And the enemy stands over in the corner laughing because he's getting you to do his dirty work and you don't even realize you're doing it. Mm. Pastor Ben told y'all it's going to be a fun one. Paul says, "Hey, give them a warning. Give them two warnings, and if they refuse to repent, don't have anything to do with them." Well, why is Paul so adamant about this? Because here's why. Because I've been in the church for a very long time. I've seen churches have momentum. They're moving. They're going. God is blessing. One person begins to whisper. One person begins to stir up things, and it crushes the momentum. And Paul says, huh, man, warn them. And if they don't repent, don't have anything to do with them. I'm telling you, that's harsh. Let's move on. Let's hurry. We got some more to go. Third way, third, third uh, uh, degree, gossip. Let's look at how the, dif- uh, the dictionary defines it. A person who habitually spreads intimate or private rumors or facts. They spread rumors or facts. In other words, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. If you're spreading it, it's gossip or it's gossip. Let me give you another definition of what gossip is. If you are talking about someone or something that does not have the power to help the situation or that is not involved in the situation, it's gossip. Are you hearing me? Well, I just like to, you know, I just want to get, no, no, you're gossiping. You're not getting somebody else's opinion. You're gossiping. You want to do what God says? Go to that person. Solve it. Now, listen, I'm giving you, don't get mad. I'm just giving you the gospel of what the Bible says. Well, PK, I can't help that people like to talk to me. Think about why they like to talk to you. Because they know you'll listen. And here's the thing. The moment you stop them from saying, hey, listen, we, we can't do this. This is not right. Let's go to pastor about this. Or let's go some more. Let's, let's go talk to that person you got. To pro- the moment you do that with them, you become the one they're gossiping about next. Unless there's repentance, and moving on. Look what Proverbs twenty nineteen says: A gossip goes around telling secrets, so don't hang around them. The passion paraphrase it like this: Stay away from those that can't keep their mouth shut. Hmm. Proverbs 16, 28, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. I could take a poll in here, and people would raise their hands that that have, even those online, that you've lost a friendship, a relationship because of gossip. Come on. You, You left a job because of gossip. You left a church because of gossip. You see, in church, we like to make it sound spiritual say something like, I'm only telling you this so that you can pray about it with me. Here's a good question to ask if it's gospel or not. Are you talking to others about that situation or about that person more than you're talking to God about it? Here's here's some good news that This is not a new problem. Paul dealt with this. Look look what he said to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 12, 20. You remember when Paul preached, uh, I mean, Bob preached a few, a couple months ago, hey, you may get a letter from Paul if. I'm afraid we may be getting a letter from Paul if. Look what he says. I'm afraid that when I come, I'm not going to like what I find. And you're not going to like my response to it. I love Paul. You just got, he just lays out there. I'm afraid that when I come, I'm going to find quarreling. I'm going to find jealousy. I'm going to find anger. I'm going to find selfishness. I'm going to find slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorderly behavior. Here's the thing. We need to stop addressing it as a problem and start calling it what it is, sin. It's sin. The fourth, and we're going to hurry, slander. Let me give you the, the definition of slander. The utterance of false charges or misrepresentation which defame or damage another's reputation. A false and defamatory oral statement about a person. Here's, the, here's the, usually the response when you talk to someone about slander. I didn't know it wasn't true. Here's the thing, guys. If you spoke something, said something, and it turned out to not be true, you're still guilty of slander. You're not the innocent person in this. Proverbs 10 18, hiding hatred makes you a liar, slandering others makes you a fool. That's the Bible, it's not me. Number five, a talebearer. Now listen to me close, Southerners. A talebearer isn't someone that shows their tail. We've got another word for that in the South, and it's only spelled with three letters. Some of y'all are trying to get it figured out. Here's what the Bible says about a tailbearer, Proverbs 11, 13. A tailbearer goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep Confidence. Anybody ever know somebody that just could not keep a secret? Come on. Here's usually what happens. You tell somebody, I'm going to tell you this in confidence. It's a secret. Well, then it gets around you are like, man, did you tell? Listen, I told my friend so-and-so, I know they can keep a secret. Well, then they tell the person they know can't keep a secret. Then they tell the person they know can't keep a secret. And pretty soon, it's not a secret anymore. Are you following me? And everybody knows. You, it, it, can I say it should not be like that, church? We should be able to share things that we're going through in life without it ending up on Facebook, online, or in somebody else's conversation. This should be the, let me show you the model the church should be James 5 16. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Here's what's sad about this. I believe there's so many people in the church, even in this church, that don't have their healing because they're not about to tell or confess anything because they've been hurt by someone they trusted in the past. And it should not be like that. Listen, I'll clap. Let me talk to my Watch Bar Community Church family. This is an area that we as a community, as a church, we got to get this right. We, we, th- this should be a place where people can come in, share their secret sc- struggles, share their brokenness, and no one is going to be kept in confidence and then find healing because they were able to share it. Let's move on. Cursing. Now, I'm going to break this to some of you. This is not what most of you think we're talking about. We're talking about cursing. I'm going to show you this because we got a lot of scriptures that when I was growing up, we, got a, we used a lot. Uh, to, if somebody said, what well, we considered it a bad word, we would use these scriptures. Romans 3. Paul's answering a question, hey, is there an advantage to being a Jew or Jewish people better than others? And Paul gives them this answer. Look at this, Romans 3.9. Well, then, shall we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. Paul goes on to say there's no one righteous, not even one. And then he jumps, let's jump down to verse 13. Look what he says. He says this about them. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of vipers is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. The Greek word that Paul uses here is, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, it means literally a curse or a supplication or prayer. There was one scripture that we loved using growing up. I used it. And, and, and it was when, do you remember when Peter uh, denied Christ? And here's the way, you know, it says he, here's the way it was always presented to me and growing up. And I even presented this. Hey, so listen, let me tell you how serious God takes using bad language. Peter, to prove that he was not a Christian, he cursed. Anybody remember that? I mean, let's read it. Here's what the King Version says, King James Version, Matthew 26, 74. Then he, Peter, began to curse and to swear, saying, I don't know the man. The Greek word that gets used right here means to vehemently call down a curse. Vines Expository Dictionary says it means to utter curses against. The NIV actually gives us a better description of what happens here. Look at it. It says, Then he, Peter, began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I do not know the man. The man. Listen, what, when you curse, what you're doing, you're calling down curses on someone. Let, let, let's, For instance, let's take the word damn. Here's what it means. Pull that up. To condemn vigorously, that is the actual definition of the word damn. Here's why this is important to us. When you use that word, you are actually calling down a curse on whatever it is you're damning. Like with, with Peter, when it says Peter began to curse, here's what he was doing. When they said, yes, you are the one, yes, you are. Here's what he was doing. If I know this man, then let this curse be upon me. And Peter actually began to damn himself and his family. And when Peter began to do that, the people listening says, there's no way a man would damn or curse his own family. So surely he doesn't know him. Let me stop here for a minute. Some of you need to stop damning your family. Some of you need to stop damning your marriage, damning your friendships, your relationships, your kids, your jobs, your finances, your church. You need to quit damning these things and start speaking life over them. Are you hearing me? Look, look, the psalmist takes it even deeper. Psalms 109, 17, 18. As he loved cursing, so let it come upon him. As he did not delight in blessing, let it be far from him. He says, if you speak words of cursing, What's going to happen is it's not going to affect it. It's going to come back upon you. And then you won't have to wonder why blessings are not flowing in your life. He says in verse 18, As he clothed himself with cursing as with his garment, so let it enter his body like water, like oil into his bones. That's how deep it can go when you allow yourself to speak wrong things over people. Matthew 15, 11, Jesus said this, hey, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. See, the thing is, those curse words that you're speaking, those words you're speaking over someone else, all it's doing is heaping itself back on you in the end. That's what causes the separation. Number seven, misuse of God's name. Or taking uh, God's name in vain, it, isn't this one of God's top tens? Come on, I mean, remember Exodus twenty-seven: You shall not take the name of your Lord your God in vain, for the Lord has, will not hold him guiltless who takes His name in vain. Uh, now, let me be real, real. There, there's a lot of cursed words while we that that don't bother me. I mean, like I can I can go out and man, people find out I'm a, I, I'm a pastor. And they realize they've been. They're like, "Oh, I apologize." I'm like, "Listen," but there's one that just, oh, it sticks a dagger when they when you say "GD." There's something about it. I don't even like when somebody says, "Oh my God," I mean, that's just that's me. I don't like that. But can I tell you this? I've heard more misuse of God's name on religious TV than I have at a construction site. Anybody remember the Carly Simon song, You're So Vain? What were they talking about? You're so selfish. On more than one occasions, I've heard God's name misused. Hey, tell you what, first first, ten, first hundred people that will send a $1,000, you're going to get your healing. Now, I'm not, I believe God can use that, those words. But I've also been around long enough to know nine times out of ten, they're using God's name to try to gain something from them. And that's misusing God's name just as if you were saying GD. With that being said, I believe if the next thousand people will give $1,000 toward this church, you'll have a church to sit in. Come on. Let's Let's hurry up. Number eight. Contentious. Oh, this is a fun one. Let me give you the definition: someone likely to cause people to argue or disagree, exhibiting an often perverse and wearisome tendency to quarrels and disputes. My mom used to tell me this, Kelly. You'd argue with a brick wall, and it was uh, that—that was the truth. I love to argue. And that's why, and I'm not saying anything that uh, revealing, but this past Monday night at our men's discipleship group, we got into a discussion. It got a little heated about things, and, and uh, no I mean, when I say heated, it was just a, there was nothing, no punches thrown or <laughs> curse words thrown, nothing like that, but as a pa- I texted our group and said, hey, guys, I want to apologize. As your pastor, I think I allowed that conversation to take us places it didn't need to go. And they were like, what are you talking about? And here's what they don't understand. There was a time in my life I loved to argue. And I would win at the cost of hurting you. I didn't care if I hurt your feelings. I didn't care if I hurt your pride. I didn't care if you liked me anymore. My goal was to win the argument. And Monday night I felt some of the old Kelly, and that's why I'd never want to go back there. Because here's my thing. There is not an argument worth winning that separates me from someone that needs Christ. My opinions less matter less than my relationship with people. Come on. Are, are you following me? And, and, and that's why I'm telling you that will separate you. It is hard to witness to a world that looks on you as somebody with just hate speech because we wanted to win an argument. Proverbs twenty five twenty four. It's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house share with a contentious woman. Any any man been in the attic lately? Any man got a bed set up in there just in case? Come on. Proverbs, kind of like camping. I, I don't even like camping. For those that love camping, God bless you. Me, there's nothing fun about going and pretending I'm homeless for a few days. Uh, let's go. Proverbs twenty-six, twenty-one. As charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife i talking about people that argue just to argue. Half the time, it's not something they really believe in. They just wanted to argue. Come on. That that was me. And, and it's become a part of, of who they are that I believe a lot of people don't even realize they're that way. Because when you confront them, man, you, you look to argue. I do not. <laughs> but it can be broken off of you with accountability and correctability. And that's going to be hard for somebody that has an argumentative spirit or nature because you want to argue about it. Let's end with this one if I can get Easter. Come on up. Pessimism. Someone that always sees the worst. Come on. Always, always sees the worst. in people or in situations. This is the very reason the children ended up wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years because they sent in 12 spies. 10 spies come back, oh, there's giants in the land, we can't do it. Two come back and said, oh, we can do it. But the 10 that come back pessimistic and oh, there's no way it can be done made them wander far longer than they had to because of giants. Can I tell you, there will always be giants in the land Especially the land that God has given you. Why? Because when you finally begin to take hold of that promised land that God has given you, you can't look at it and say, yeah, look what I did. See, that's, this is something I had to fight when we began talking about this new building in the back. Because we're, we're a debt-free facility right now, debt-free. God has worked wonders. And the thought of us going $5 million in debt, I'm like, man, I'm too old to deal with that, junk. And whenever I bring that up to my wife, my, my wife would say, Kelly, God enabled us to pay this building off. I just believe God has the ability to pay for this one off. And what happens is in my pessimistic state, I had to be allowed. I had to allow my wife to speak into me and correct me and hold me accountable where I didn't have the faith that she has. Now get me, I I am not saying we walk around ignoring the facts. Are you hearing me? That come on, we, we all know those people. We, how, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. And you're like, uh, really? Because it's not looking like it. I'm not saying we walk around. But what I am saying is our focus goes off of the facts. And it's more on what God is saying and doing. Constance, y'all missed it this morning. Got up at the 9 a.m. begin to speak about facts. See, she's had a lot of facts thrown at her about her health. A lot of facts. That's facts. The doctors have said, hey, look, this is what's wrong. And she could say, okay, or she say, listen, I say these facts, but I'm going to put my focus on the healer. I'm going to put a focus on the truth of what God says in this moment. The children of Israel, man, they wandered around in the desert, and the writer of Hebrews begins to remind us of the story. Look at Hebrews 3.12. He said, be careful, brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving or pessimistic, turning you away from the living God. He said, if you're not careful, your unbelief can harden your heart. Constantly believing the worst or seeing the worst can and eventually will harden your heart. And Paul is trying to give us a warning. Listen, if all you ever do is speak negative or damning comments over your marriage, that marriage will never change. If all you speak are those comments over your finances, guess what? Your finances will never change. If you're saying that about your children, guess what? Your children will never change. About your marriage, it will never change. It's not about denying the facts, but it's about saying, I'm going to start speaking life into this instead of death into this. See, God's language, you know what God's language is? Faith. That's why he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And why would we need faith if we didn't find ourselves in impossible situations? And and God's like, you're going to find yourself thinking, how how in the world? And that's where faith is going to come into play. Faith is not denying you have a problem. That's not what faith is. Faith is when you stop being focused on the problem, the issue, and you focus on who God is and who He says He is and what He can do. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, and we're ending. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, only such that is good for building up. If what you're saying about someone or to someone is not building up, Paul says, stop it. He says, only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those that hear. This next verse, though, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. I don't know about you, church. I do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't want things that come out of my mouth about someone or about a situation to grieve the Holy Spirit. Because here's what you have to keep in mind. That's God's child you're talking about. And here's the truth about this. My kid, one of my kids, this one was worse shared than that. She was up here, was supposed to be up here. Of course, being shared. Uh, but anyway, this child, she was too much like her daddy. Meaning she was the rebellious one. But there was not a day in her season of being rebellious that I did not want the best for that young. There was not a time in her season of rebellion where I didn't want to see her prosper and do well. And if me as an earthly father feel that way about mine, how does the heavenly father feel when he hears brothers talking about brothers and sisters talking about sisters? No matter if it's out loud or spoken in private or online, I believe it grieves the father's heart. Stand with me across this room.